everyone! This is Cartoons to Castles. The history behind the mouse and magic. I'm Melanie. And I'm Jessica. We're best friends and Disney nerds who wanted to learn more about the history behind the Walt Disney Company's movies, shows, music, theme parks, and more, and share it all with you. So thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, everyone. I am very, we are very excited because today it's our 20th episode. Yes, 20! We're 20 episodes old. (laughs) I mean, except for the mini episodes, but. Yeah. (laughs) Today we have a previous Cartoons to Castles guest returning to join us to chat about one of her favorite Disney history topics. Today we are talking about Disney MGM Studios, the original version of the theme park now known as Disney's Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World. The opening of Disney MGM Studios was May 1st, 1989, so we wanted to cover the topic during the month of its 32nd anniversary. And for the occasion, we had to invite on one of our previous guests who is the biggest Disney MGM Studios fan we know, Tiffany Lene Sutton. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You're our first repeat guest. I'm so excited that we can have you on again. We love chatting with you on our episode you were on before about Disney Channel original movies. Yeah. I'm honored to be here, guys. And a lot of people said that was one of their favorite episodes. So that's also a cool thing. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Oh, my gosh. We had so many people who were like DCOM obsessed and they were like, I learned so much. Like, I never knew. That's amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Well, today is going to be a little different. I might take over your entire podcast. This is now Tiffany's podcast. Podcast takeover. (laughs) Cartoons to (laughs) Tiffany. I'm going to get real nostalgic, real emotional, and real elitist up in here. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, of course, we want to hear more in-depth stories about your Disney MGM Studios trips. But before we get further into that, as the only one of three of us who got to witness the original park in its full glory in person, could you give our listeners just a little overview describing how it's different from Disney's Hollywood Studios and why you love this park so much? In a nutshell, because I know that there's probably much in a to nutshell. be said on that. <laughs> Oh, you want me to abridge my love for the only Disney park I've ever loved. They have much. the whole, the, our listeners have the whole rest of the episode to fully understand. But just, just give us a brief overview of what do you feel like the biggest differences between the original and what the park is now? And why are you so obsessed with it? Okay. Well, the original concept was it was a working movie studio on the East Coast. They originally had this concept to make it like the Hollywood of the East. They were going to do productions there and they wanted to give like an insight to how movies are made. Oh, yes. On and I will be studio. talking about all the Michael Eisner oh stuff about that <laughs> in a moment, too. So nowadays, it's not. It's just a shadow of its former glory. <laughs> it's just nothing like it was when it was created. And I was obsessed with it because honestly, if you guys already are aware of who I am, I'm Wizard of Oz obsessed. MGM is the studio that brought the Wizard of Oz into Mm -hmm. our hearts and our homes in that 1939 movie. And by the time I was born in the 80s, MGM, which used to be epicenter of what Hollywood was, they were the biggest movie studio in the world, didn't really exist in that capacity anymore. So my only like ability to see what that might have been was this park. So as a kid, this was my opportunity to see the only remnant of any kind of MGM anything. So yeah, 
that is a really good point. I hadn't thought about that of like, yeah, like you said, like kind of the last remnant of MGM. And I don't dislike Disney's Hollywood Studios, but I also <laughs> never went to Disney MGM Studios. And I'm bummed I never got to. I got to go to Disney's Hollywood Studios when they still had the backlot tour. But obviously the backlot tour was very shortened and different from what it was. I still enjoyed it. But doing these deep dives, it's so fascinating to learn about what the park originally was. And I really wish I could have experienced that. It does seem like quite a big contrast to what the park is now. Yeah, we'll put we'll put the backlot tour that you saw in quotations as a backlot tour. (laughs) (laughs) So Let's dive into it and talk about how the idea of Disney MGM Studios came to be in the 80s. So back in the 1980s, Epcot had plans for two new pavilions that Imagineers Marty Sklar and Randy Bright were working on. They were working on Wonders of Life, which, shameless plug, Melanie and I just talked about in our latest Patreon-exclusive episode if you want to subscribe for $3 a month at patreon.com slash cartoons to castles. That's the pavilion where... (laughs) That's the pavilion where Cranium Command was, where Buzzy the notoriously missing animatronic was from, and Body Wars. So that obviously came to be. So they were working on the Wonders of Life pavilion, as well as a show business themed pavilion to take guests on a journey through the greatest movies. So basically, it was the great movie ride as a pavilion. But Michael Eisner loved the idea so much because... If you're a Michael Eisner historian, uh, you you know he is obsessed with like the whole culture of show business. That's why he like pushed for superstar limo. Like he loves the inside jokes of show business. Like that's mm-hmm. his jam. So he loved the idea and he wanted to expand it into its own park. As we talked about back in episode two in the Disney Toon Studios episode, during this time period of the late '80s and early '90s, animation production was off the charts. Disney was definitely needing a bigger space and more manpower to create animated films. And with land being expensive in California, particularly expensive in Los Angeles, and if you're familiar with where Walt Disney Studios and Walt Disney Animation Studios is in Burbank, getting just empty land, that's not very easy to do. No. And it's expensive. But Disney already owned a ton of undeveloped land in Florida where they could build another animation studios in Florida. So that was another incentive to expand this into its own park and make a working studio and a working animation studio. So Disney decided to kind of take that original ideas of the pavilion, use the ideas of creating a second animation studio and also have a second working production studio for live action and create Disney MGM Studios. Now, think about this if you know your theme park stuff. Disney MGM Studios opened in May of 1989. Universal Orlando opened in June of 1990. Clearly, these parks were in development at the same time and overlapped a bit. Well, in 1981... Universal Studios, or MCA, which is the company that owns and operates the Universal theme parks, Universal Studios had a meeting with Paramount Pictures to try to get some financial backing for Universal Studios Orlando, which was in early development. Again, that was in 1981 at Paramount Pictures, where they had this top-secret meeting. Mm -hmm. You may or may not know... Who was a very big Paramount executive in 1981? In fact, Paramount's president (laughs) was Michael Eisner. 
Oh, <laughs> who was at this confidential meeting about having a Universal Studios in Florida. In 1985 is when Disney MGM Studios Park would be announced to the public as being in development. The knowledge of knowing that Universal, their biggest competitor, would be working on having a studio tour at the park is said to have contributed to Disney's rush to get their park open in 1989 to beat Universal's 1990 opening and subsequently led to Universal accusing Disney of having stolen its idea for a Florida studio park, knowing Michael Eisner was at that initial meeting. It caused a lot of tension between Eisner and his previous executive buddies as they felt what Eisner was doing was a, quote, horrible sense of personal and corporate betrayal, quote, as they felt he was taking paramount confidential information and now using it in his new role at Disney. Eisner responded that Disney had tour plans for Florida long before he arrived, and ultimately nothing came of the accusations other than Disney rushed to build their park first. They didn't sue or anything? I guess, like, they tried, but there was, they tried, but it got kind of tossed to the side because there wasn't enough substantial evidence. There was, you know, lots of attempted lawsuits because they did feel like Disney was infringing upon a lot of what happened, but nothing much really came of them. (laughs) Good. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but, like, in Disney's defense, uh, Walt went to Orlando and got all that land and thought of having a theme park. So if you think yeah, about Universal it, Universal was infringing on Disney's turf. So, oh, I mean, <laughs> if you want to think about it, why was Universal there? They were infringing well, on Disney's turf. Another reason why Disney was considering building a studio tour in Florida was because Disney before this, was trying to infringe upon Universal's turf in the Los Angeles area. This is something where Universal won, not a legal battle, but they won this competition. Disney at this time as well, before they decided they were going to build Disney's Hollywood Studios, Disney was working with the Los Angeles government to make downtown Burbank into a shopping and entertainment metropolis kind of like city walk to compete with universal and maybe have some sort of not a studio tram tour but something about how movies were made and they were wanting to transform all of downtown burbank into this shopping and entertainment plaza and universal basically was like there this is unfair that the city of los angeles is basically trying to help make this happen and hurting our business and so they got together friends of burbank who worked together with local businesses and were like we don't want this and basically couldn't do it i saw the plans for that they were huge could you imagine what would have happened if they did that I know. I I mean, I would have loved it because the more Disney stuff I can do, (laughs) great. But So anyway, back to this. Since the concept for Disney MGM Studios was to make it a full-blown studio on the East Coast, they entered into a licensing agreement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, a.k.a. MGM, in 1985, which gave Disney the rights to use the MGM logo and name to brand the park as well as use MGM movies in the Great Movie Ride. Construction began in 1986 with the studio portion completed in 1988 so that they could have time to begin productions on various projects so that by the time it opened in 1989, it could be an official working studio. The very first thing filmed on the backlot 
at Disney in Orlando was a three-minute short film directed by Gary Marshall starring Bette Midler called The Lottery and very heavily talked about on the tour since it was the first thing to be completely filmed there. And I have to think, a three-minute short film directed by Gary Marshall starring Bette Midler completely filmed at Disney, like that had to have 100% just been made for the sole purpose of trying to be like, Something was made here and to yeah, try to get other people to make stuff there. Like that had to be the reason. Like I don't sure. think Gary Marshall had this creative idea, wanted to make it, and then was like, ooh, but where can I make it? Like I'm sure Disney was just like, mm-hmm. ha- they had a relationship with Gary Marshall already. I'm sure they were just like, hey, film something completely here and then that'll be exciting for guests. We could try to get other people to film stuff here. So anyway. Yeah. Three minute film with Bette Midler. Disney would create a theme park that had a backlot, production facilities, and as I mentioned, in addition to live action production, would have a second Walt Disney Animation Studios to help fulfill the demand for animation and also just beef up the whole theme park East Coast production facility concept. And in the time that Walt Disney Animation Studios was there, they created Lilo and Stitch, Mulan, Brother Bear. If you watch Lilo and Stitch, you could see a couple mentions of Mulan in that since those were many of the same animators and prior to opening disney mgm studios Ernest saves christmas was filmed there (laughs) which i just have to say melanie how come there's been so many ties to Ernest, and how come this is like the third time we've brought up Ernest in a podcast episode like because Ernest was super popular Ernest was like everyone loved Ernest. that's that's all it was yeah he was just super popular I've never seen an Ernest movie, and what? for those who missed it before, when Melanie was talking about Ernest, I said, is Ernest the same as National Lampoon? Oh, no. It's Slinky no. Dog. I uh, Well, I know this all now, but <laughs> I did Oh my god. I didn't know. Ernest anyway. is actually really funny. I think yeah, I'm not denying Ernest. it. I just never saw it. My and favorites, I didn't fully know what it was. My favorites were Ernest Save Christmas and Halt the Halloween. Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, Ernest Saves Christmas kid. was the first full-length movie filmed at Disney's backlot. And Jess. Um yeah. Jess. If you still haven't seen anything, Ernest, watch the Disneyland 35th anniversary special. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen okay, that. Okay, did you see the Ernest segment? <laughs> yes. It's so fun. I love no, that No, I'm segment. not denying it. I just think it's funny how we keep bringing up Ernest in cartoons and castles. It just keeps it happening. It's very unintentionally. important in the 90s, yes. Um, so this could be a whole <laughs> other topic later, but Ernest Saves Christmas is significant, too, in it being filmed there in 1988, because this actually caused MGM to file a lawsuit against Disney saying that they were using the MGM licensing beyond what was initially agreed upon. Uh Because again, they were paying for their name. They were paying to use them in the great movie ride. And they were like, you can't be actually creating productions when you're using our name on this lot. And then Disney said that MGM was violating their agreement by building their own theme park at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. So that was their counter lawsuit towards them. And they said that by building a theme park inside the MGM Grand, they would ruin Disney's reputation because they might confuse it for a Disney theme park. Eventually, the LA Supreme Court said that Disney could continue to use the name MGM and do productions. And they also said MGM Grand could build a theme park as long as it didn't look similar to that Disney MGM Studios logo so that people didn't get confused. So opening day, 1989, there were hardly any attractions. There was, of course, this great movie ride, and then there was the studio backlot tour, 
which were the two main appeals. And then there were just like two more, which were more like shows. There was Superstar Television, which was an interactive experience for guests to act out classic shows like I Love Lucy and Gilligan's Island. And then they would show them on a large screen as if you're in one of those classic shows. There was also the Monster Sound Show where guests could play around with sound effects and sound editing. But you guys, that was literally all there was on opening day. Later in the year, in August, they opened the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular and then in December, they opened Star Tours, The Adventures Continue. I was kind of shocked to find out there were only four attractions opening day. But bear in mind, while the studio tour no longer exists today, the studio tour at opening was over two hours long. So that did take up a chunk of your day. And there were also other things like a walkthrough self-guided tour. It was more like a show building you walk through. That was the magic of Disney animation where you can watch animators animating Disney films. And also on opening day, there was the soundstage restaurant that contained lots of set pieces and props from the Plaza Hotel scenes in big business. So this was a very (laughs) Bette Midler reliant park. (laughs) I laugh because that's like one of me and Dan's favorite jokes about MGM is about like it's the Bette Midler park. It was a it was just Bette Midler everywhere. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know Michael Eisner loved Bette Midler. I mean I love Bette Midler. Who doesn't? We all do. We all do, yeah. (laughs) We we all do. We all do. But going back to opening day, just to wrap up my segment, I wanted to read Michael Eisner's dedication speech. Hey, I love I'm this. already laughing. I love this. Laughing. First of all, I love this dedication speech. And I know Michael Eisner is like, we all have our like jokes, but I can't ever be mad at him because he brought me the best Disney park ever. So come on, people. He we was know. the face of Disney in my childhood. Right. Like, he I brought love us Michael Eisner. He brought us the Renaissance. We know he yeah. made a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> we know he's not always a good person, mm-hmm. but he also we would not love Disney the way we love right. Disney if it weren't and obviously, that's not only because of him. That's also because of everyone else who was a part of Disney at the time. But he but made w- some serious decisions that shaped no. my life. But <laughs> he's he, we always <laughs> love. We, we, we just laugh because we know when Michael Eisner is brought into the talk, we know there's going to be some 90s cheese. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's always- a lot of hindsight laughter because it's hindsight. Yeah. Our most recent episode that was just published a couple days ago at the time we're recording this, it was about Disney Cruise Line. And we were laughing because in that episode, Michael Eisner was talking about the concept drawings for Disney Cruise and how corny they were. And he said, it was too much. Like, for me, it was too much. And we were like, we we were like, we love how self-aware he is that he could be over the top and cheesy to the point where he had to be like, you guys, this is how bad it was for me. It was too much. (laughs) Anyway. So, his dedication speech. The world you have entered was created by the Walt Disney Company and is dedicated to Hollywood. Not a place on a map, but a state of mind that exists wherever people dream and wonder and imagine. A place where illusion and reality are fused by technological magic. We welcome you to a Hollywood that never was and always will be. I love that. I'm not going to lie. When I heard a Hollywood that never was and always will be, I also laughed. I get what he's saying, but it did make me giggle a little. I mean, it's funny because Dan and I talk about that speech, too, because, you know, I, I my poor husband has to yeah. be always talking about MGM around me. But it's true. <laughs> Hollywood is a trashy place that's nothing like your image of what it is. <laughs> like, even back in the 50s in the golden era, if you went yes. to Hollywood, it wouldn't be the Hollywood you imagine in your brain, the romanticized sure. vision of it. 
for crying out loud, MGM was Hollywood in the 50s, 60s golden era. And it wasn't even in Hollywood. It was in Culver City. Like, it's not mm-hmm. what your brain thinks of. You go to Hollywood and it's not that romanticized. The Hollywood that no. that you dream in your head. Never will be. Right. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's like what we yeah. imagine Hollywood to be, but never ever was. It's, yeah. It's um, true. It's true. Well, let's get into your segment, Tiffany, all about the 90s expansion. Cool. Well, I guess I think the best thing to start with would be the backlot tour since that was the heart and soul of this park. I think literally in the beginning when they were making the park, I think they were expecting it to be kind of like a park that is just like not a full day park. You were just going to like stop in there and see some movie magic and then go to Epcot or Mm-hmm. Magic Kingdom. But then, like, as it was being developed, Michael Eisner kept, like, dropping off, like, plans and was, like, they just kept expanding <laughs> ideas and it just became, like, a thing. So I'm going to start by just, like, giving you guys a rundown of, like, exactly what happened in the Backlot Tour. The Backlot Tour, like just said, originally was a two-hour tour. It started off with the tram tour. You would, like, load into the tram and you'd go through that segment. And then afterwards, there would be a time period where you would get, like, a break where you would get snacks. There's, like, the eating area and you'd, like, eat and get snacks and stuff before you started the walking tour segment of it. And so I never saw this tour in that capacity. I didn't go to MGM Studios for the first time until 1993. And by then, they had already, like, expanded and changed a lot of it. But opening day in the first year of the tour, basically what you would be doing is you'd get on the tram. And I actually have – I think I wrote, like, a play-by-play. Okay. (laughs) because i just want to give everyone the like the experience let's do it yeah let's do it let guys come come with me back in time buckle up buckle up (laughs) come with me back in time to the greatest disney theme park of all times mgm with me and tiffany will take you on a tour of mgm studio (laughs) perfect i love that so i need some work but i love it so basically also the way that the park was constructed was that there were two sections of the park the front section which was like the theme park area and then those arches that are iconic that you would see like disney mgm studios and once you're through that arch that's where the two tours were or that's where the tours happened so it was like Mm -hmm. in front of the arch was the theme park behind the arch was like the studio the working studio So that was um, how it was. And when the park first opened, you would start with the backstage part of the tour. It would lead to a covered courtyard and a tram loading station. And the tram would pass through film offices. Then it would go through different prop vehicles and production bungalows. The greens department, which is like the plants and shrubbery that they would put in the background to cover up you know, whatever they wanted to cover up. And then you went, you drove through a tunnel, which went through the wardrobe section where you would see actual people making wardrobe. You would see iconic wardrobe from films like Mary Poppins. They had, um, I believe, the opera dress from Pretty Woman. They had Captain EO's costume. Like, and and through, yeah, and through the years, (laughs) the displays would change based on which movies were relevant and things like that. But they had a bunch of different costumes on display in between the windows so it's like through the windows you see the people working and then you see like a display of like pretty woman's opera gown or you know mary poppins iconic white dress captain eo's 
complete outfit. And then they would talk about that. And then they had an art and scenic residential street came after that. And on the residential street, they had in the beginning seven houses there, which included a replica of the Golden Girls house. And they also had like this one moment when like Herbie the love bug was like on residential street and Herbie, the actual car would, was hooked up to like some mechanism and Herbie would like move and squirt water. Like it was talking to you, it would like pop a wheelie and like come forward to the, towards the tram and back. Oh, it's cute. It was a really cool. And then after you go through all the houses on residential street, they eventually added an extra house for another show. And then Adventures in Wonderland also shot on this, um, lot so they also had the exterior of the adventures in wonderland house on residential street as well which i thought was cool as a kid because obviously i watched it at the time and then once you went through residential street they took you through the props boneyard it had a bunch of different cars it had the street car from roger rabbit there it had like spaceships from i forget which movie it was but they had just like a bunch of different things they had some dick tracy things as well cars and then after you went through the props boneyard You went to what was called Catastrophe Canyon. Now, Catastrophe Canyon is interesting because it is very much like Universal Studios' earthquake Earthquake. attraction. And apparently, from what I've seen and read and heard, that Universal's earthquake experience originally looked a lot like what Catastrophe Canyon was. And I think they had to, like, regroup and change it. Oh. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, man, they just... You know what? In the beginning, I was like, dang. It was a showdown. Yeah. In the beginning, I was like, oh, my God. Disney did Universal dirty. But then, like, after (laughs) digging through the research, I was like, wait. What was Universal doing on Disney's turf to begin with? Disney, (laughs) like, Walt Disney himself claimed Orlando years ago as, as, like, his theme park area. And they were just like, let me just mosey in on Disney's turf and cause a (laughs) distress, like, a a whole Are you going to talk? Are you going to talk about the host being the same too? Oh my god, from the video? <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's an introduction like a video that kind of like gives you like a inside look at like the backlot tour and the host mm-hmm. who was um what was his name? I can't remember the host's name, but he literally did the exact same video for Universal Studios Hollywood. He was in the commercials for Universal Orlando. Hollywood. He did Oh, I saw it. He also did it for Universal Orlando. Okay, well, he did, like, okay, a behind-the-scenes tour of MGM Studios' Backlot Tour. Before that, he had done the exact same type of behind-the-scenes tour video for Universal Orlando. I saw he also did, like, commercial promos. Oh, okay. Like, visit Universal Florida. So, like, MGM had promotional behind-the-scenes videos of their Backlot Tour that they used him for, this actor. They used the same actor that Universal was using? Yeah, and Universal Studios Hollywood already had, like, videos like that about like the behind the scenes of Universal Studios Hollywood's backlot tour and he did it for them too first so that was fun (laughs) but I mean they were mad I think they were just pissed that they decided to come to Orlando they were like we'll show you (laughs) (laughs) yeah they definitely had a showdown so Catastrophe Canyon was literally like you're on hydraulics there's like an earthquake there's like a tanker there that like has fire and it's really very similar to what Universal Studios has and then after you do that whole experience it kind of takes you around the back and then they explain how it was all done and they show you how fake it was and like so in the beginning you see the real part and then on the back you see how like all the inner workings and they basically explain like this part did the shaking part and this part did this and you literally see oh that's fun yeah so you see the back of it and the facade and it's like all metal and like pipes and like all these things and they basically pull down the curtain and show you after you've watched the whole experience 
Then after that, the trams looped back to New York Street. And they had like their own Washington Square and a whole like back part where it's like a like a painted backdrop with forced perspective where they have like the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building. But the Empire State Building and Chrysler Building were removable in case you wanted to turn New York Street into a different city so that they weren't obviously stuck just only doing productions that had to be in New York. Um, So they took away like the iconic buildings that you know New York for. So yeah, so they went there, you go through their Washington Square. They have that like arch that Washington Square has. And then after you go through that New York Street back lot, the trams reach the unloading station. That's where you had your snacks and you took your little break. Eventually, in 1990, so a year after the park opened, they built the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playground in order for the kids to have a place to play and kind of run out their energy before the next half of the tour (laughs) so that's smart that's kind of how like part of why that concept of the honey i I just have to say about the honey i shrunk the kids playground garrett and i saw an old commercial for it or it was like i think it was an excerpt from a special maybe it wasn't a solo commercial and there was a girl sitting on top of a giant ant and they were like right atop a giant bee and garrett and i rewound it three times and we're like that's an ant they said B. It's auntie. <laughs> yeah, they called it a B in the commercial. Oh. I guess you know why? Because in the green screen portion of the tour, it is yeah. a B. They might have been I just confused. thought that was I just thought that was so funny that that like made the final cut of a thing airing on TV. <laughs> they might have used that audio for a different part but then put it in the wrong place. Recut it. Yeah. yeah. But we're like Oops. That's an ant. <laughs> Oops. Oopsie. Um, so once you got your like water fountain drink, you know, you got your drinks, you went to the bathroom, you had your food. The second half of the backstage tour was the walking portion of it. The unloading area where there was the covered eating and the restrooms and stuff. There was no exit back to the park from that area. So like once you start this tour, you're on this tour. You can't like go anywhere back to the theme park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was no way to get back to the theme park at all. You're just there. So you so have when you're to- done with the tour, were you just done with your day at the park? No, no, no. Where the restrooms were and where the unloading station for the trams were and mm-hmm. where the food was is only part of the back lot, but where that mm-hmm. section of the back lot was, there was no way to get back to the theme park. So you had to continue on with the tour to get back to the yeah. theme park. So you okay. had to go on the walking tour. You'd just be stranded. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So the second half, when you went on foot, it departed like every 15 minutes, and they had a monitor pre-show. And the tour first led to the water effects tank, and that's where, like, I don't know if you've seen any videos, but they have an audience volunteer, and he's in a yellow raincoat, and he goes out on the ship, and they blast, like, water, and it's, like, this whole ship thing where there's, like, oh, no, this plane is dropping, like, bombs, and yeah. it's, like, effects where the, like, bullets and whatever hitting the water and they've got propellers and all this like thing and then they play it back and it's like on a green screen it looks like you're like in a whole production it's really neat um so they start with the water effects tank and then they go to the visual effects stage which gives you kind of an idea of some visual effects in movies i believe that is where you see some props from movies i think it's like the warehouse kind of looking area where they do have an anti-replica there or it is the actual anti i don't know but it's animatronic and it like moves and speaks at the end of the tour cool but i watched a video and it had like a really good view of it and they were like looking around the room and they had at one point in the 90s they had the back 
props of Muppets Christmas Carol, like the oh like gosh. the buildings, you know, in the town. Oh they oh had them gosh, like so up cool. in the rafters there, and you could see like the buildings from the back <gasps> buildings from the Muppet Christmas Carol That's in so the cool. town. That's amazing. And they also had TikTok, the Tin Woodsman, and the I think I saw the scarecrow, but they also had the lion from Return to Oz up in the rafters as well. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> there was a lot of cool things in that room if you have the opportunity, if you were there, to, like, look around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. And they would, like, point to things, too. Like, that's how I knew. They were like, oh, if you look up there, we have the background, the backdrop? I don't know. For, like, Muppet's Christmas Carol. So they would, like, say that and the camera, like, looked up and you could see them and it was, like, insane. So then after that, you go to the chroma key stage, which is the green screen. And that's where they have like different green screen presentations. In the beginning, it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because that movie was coming out. It hadn't been released yet. So they were like trying to get hype for it. Mm -hmm. And you rode the bee and it was like a kid on top and a kid on the side. And you have to like act out reaching out to her. And like then they put you, superimpose you into the movie. And it goes through that whole Mm -hmm. scene where the – might have been a fly. A bee or fly is flying around the backyard with Rick Mm -hmm. Moranis like swatting at it and stuff like that. If you know that scene in the movie, it puts you in that portion of it. So I would have loved that. Yeah. Yes, you get to see like the kid volunteers like on it and they just tell you to like move this way, move that way. And then they like put you in and it looked so cool. It was like the really cool thing. After you do that experience, you go to another covered bridge where they took you to the soundproof catwalks where you could see down into the main sound stages one, two and three. Now, this is a very exciting thing because at this time the mickey mouse club was performing and that was a stop on the tour you could see the sound stage for the mickey mouse club sometimes you'd be able to watch them perform because they would be filming if you happened to be there during those times when they were filming you could like look down and see them like setting up for the production if there was like people putting up whatever they need to put up for whatever skit they're doing or you know whatever they're working on so you could literally watch them do the mickey mouse club at this point it's really oh cool. So goodness. whatever is going on in sound stages <laughs> one through three, you would be able to look at that. And then after you did that, there was another covered bridge that led you to stage four. And that was a demonstration of location shooting. And then there was like a ground level scenery with like displays. And then they had like a post-production area, which were like two main areas with overhead monitors. And you could look at like editing and sound effects and the overhead monitors would like tell you what was going on. With the editing, it was like a Star Wars video. And then with the sound effects part of the post-production, it was actually Pee Wee Herman and Mel Gibson. Just have you seen this video? What is that combination? So So (laughs) the video is insane. And Pee Wee Herman and Mel Gibson are talking about sound effects. Basically, when you like do post-production sound and they like at one point switch voices where you see them like watching themselves on the video and they're in the mic and Pee Wee speaking for Mel Gibson. and I haven't seen that, but I'm a Pee Wee stan. I I know to watch this. I'll send you all the links to these things. It is fantastic like i had because i told you like i'm obsessed so i've done like all the deep dives for years because i want to transport myself back to this time and i found some like seriously footage where it's like the entire back lot tour with all the like videos for everything you can watch on the tour it's insane so like when you go in the post-production part the star wars video they also have you can watch and it talks about editing using star wars footage and things like that and then the sound one is Mel Gibson and Pee Wee Herman. And it's, <laughs> oh, it's my gosh. so entertaining. 
And then for the finale of the tour, the Walt Disney Theater was made to show clips of upcoming films shot at the park. But that couldn't happen because of those copyright issues that you talked about, Jess, with like MGM and everything. <laughs> yeah. So instead, they had to have Michael Eisner like star in a short film. Oh, oh they just had to. Yeah. <laughs> So they just had to. They just they had, had to. no choice. They had no choice. Michael Eisner starred in a film. So that's like <laughs> the no last choice. finale, Michael Eisner. So then that tour exit was at the animation courtyard. So the tour entrance, the tour exit, and the animation building were all adjacent to each other, which meant that the guests could like flow from one to the next. So like if you went on the studio tour first, you could flow into the animation building. If you went in the animation one first, you could flow right into the studio tour. So like they were all in the same area. So that's like how where you would get dropped off. You could go in the animation or you could like go back to the park, whatever you want to do. Now, the animation segment. It's not part of the Backlot Tour, but, like, the animation building, which was also, like, a walking tour as well, is actually very interesting because I also found videos of exactly the entire thing, including the, like, videos they showed on the tour. And I saw something that shook me to my core, Easter egg-wise, that I don't think I've ever known in my entire life. I don't think I've ever seen it in my entire life. And I was like, wait, was this before or after? Was this – is that an Easter egg? Okay, so let me explain. (laughs) first i'll just talk about how the animation segment went so the entrance foyer you went into the animation building and there was like a collection of all the animation they had a waiting hall filled with art and different awards like academy awards and things like that and then you walked into the animation theater and in the animation theater there was an introductory film called back to neverland which was starring robin williams now this oh. video is what shook me to my core. Number one, they ask Robin Williams. Well, first of all, they find Robin Williams as a tourist. <laughs> of course. In the video. But guess what he was dressed as? Tourist what? genie. <gasps> this was 1989, everybody. Which makes so was, me think. Wait, so was genie modeled after him dressed like that? It had to have been. I think genie with the goofy hat. The Hawaiian shirt and the camera around his neck. That is what he is dressed like in this video, you guys. Which makes me think that when they dress Genie like that at the very end of Aladdin, he's like, I'm going to Disney World. It's because it was an Easter egg back to the MGM Studios video of Robin Williams doing that Back to Neverland thing. I screamed when I saw this. I was like, time out. I need a timeline of what's happening here because I am losing my mind. Tiffany, you just gave us mind-blowing Disney history. That's what I said. I just said it. Guys, when I said it's going to, it shook me to my core. I, I, oh, also, because I knew I was going to give you this conversation and you guys wouldn't know what I was talking about because I didn't know. How about I took pictures and I'm about to show you. Y'all, get ready, get ready to lose your mind. I'm ready. I'm ready to lose my hat. <laughs> oh, wait. It's gone already. What? Oh Look at God. that. Look they at that. They literally... Oh, my God. It's Tourist Genie. They modeled Genie after something he it's did for same. MGM Studios years earlier. It's <gasps> the same. Can you believe? <laughs> Can you? We cannot believe. We will have to post a picture of that. A it's... screenshot of that. Look on at our... this. I was like... <laughs> Screeching. <laughs> this is Jessica's face right now, you guys. I'm I, I can't. I live for this thoughtful. kind of information. Girl. I live for this kind of information. Same. 
Same. I'm laughing I, so hard and Jess is so thoughtful. I was taking so many pictures because I was like, no way, no way, no way, no way, no way, no way. Look at that. Send me this video and send me these photos because these must yeah. be shared. As we Tiffany have to share breaking, them. We'll share. This is the news Tiffany With the broke big on the flash bulb camera and everything with the goofy hat. I could not believe. It's not often that anyone can break Disney history news, but Tiffany has broken it open. In 2021, I found case. an Easter egg in Aladdin that no one knew existed. What are the chances that, pew, you know, pew. that... People working on Aladdin, like someone who had the creative decision of what Genie was going to wear, was like, oh, he wore this thing when he went to Disney World, like, you know, MGM Studios video thing. And then they use that. What are the chances? Like, it's insane. Amazing. That's why he says he's going to Disney World. He meant he was going to Disney MGM Studios. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, I love Genie's this so favorite theme park is also my favorite <laughs> theme park. You heard it here first That's on Cartoons and Castles. It's canon. That's what, that's what this means. <laughs> Guys, wow. then, then okay, so then they were like, okay, Robin, come on in. What's your favorite Disney movie? Guess what he says? Peter what? Pan. Peter Pan, Back to Neverland. it's Back to Neverland. Also, yeah. before Hook. Oh, my God. Pre-Hook? Oh, my gosh. Pre-Hook. No wonder. And he's talking about how he would love to go to Neverland and hang out with Peter Pan. I was like, oh, honey, you are going to be Peter Pan, okay? <laughs> you don't know it yet. Yeah, you don't know it, but... Or he does know it. He just booked it and was like, let me plug Peter Pan real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. That could be it. We'll have to look at the timeline. So Connect the dots. in this video, they turn Robin Williams into a cartoon. He is a lost boy, his own like stylized version of a lost boy. And he comes in mm-hmm. contact with Captain Hook. And it's hilarious. Like so entertaining. He like insults Captain Hook. Captain Hook tries to like get him to jump off the like the plank into the TikTok's mouth. And it's like a whole thing. And it's so funny. It's so entertaining as anything with Robin Williams would be. Yeah. I will also send you the links to that because it is mind blowing. Everything I fa- everything I like watch and found, I was just like, I I can't believe. You know when you go someplace and you see people with their cell phones out and you're like, why are you recording that? Like you're not gonna watch this ever again. This is an example of apparently in 30 years, this is gonna be the most important footage and you don't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Bless people with those heavy, gigantic camcorders in 1989 through 1996, recording Filming all the whole thing. Or else we wouldn't have the amazing footage we have. Oh, my God. The camcorders hoisted on their shoulder. I mean, talk about dedication. They didn't have simple little iPhones carrying around with them. They had to be really dedicated with these heavy, giant things and giving us 30 years later the the experience of a lifetime. They did a service. So it was a service. So same with the people who keep their old VHS recordings of horrible Disney specials. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Bless them. So after I watched that and my mind was completely blown, then they talked about um, after that, the animation video pre-show led to the Disney Classics Theater, which showed past and future animation films. And then there was a gift shop at the exit. Of course. But when you were going through the animation building, you would watch animators be animating things because they also helped work on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin at this time as well. So it wasn't just like later films. They did do some Beauty and the Beast. They did some Aladdin. And then they had like overhead monitors explaining each area on view behind soundproof windows as you watch the animators, you could understand what was going on. 
And then the third and final area behind the studio arch was also the Soundstage restaurant, which Jess talked about, which was in Soundstage 5. In 1989, like Jess said, the interior was decorated with sets from Big Business. But then in the later years, they decorated it to have interiors based on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin as well. So guys... I just brought you through the original 1989 Studios tour with some mind-blowing revelations. <laughs> yeah. But I do want to discuss some of the changes that happened because this is like where I grew up in. It's also important to talk about the Muppets as well in this situation. It's always important to talk about the Muppets. So before Jim Henson died, he was literally gearing up to sell the Muppets to Disney. And they had this whole... Muppets situation planned. They had a Muppets studio planned at MGM. In this footage, you can see the construction walls that say Muppets studio coming soon. Like it it was going to be a Muppet spectacular in that park. I mean, it was going to be an expansion of MGM theme park and was going to be amazing. And it all failed because Jim Henson died and Disney got greedy and they didn't adhere to the original contracts. And then Jim Henson people pulled out because they were like, this isn't what we agreed to when Jim was alive. And now you guys are trying to take advantage. We're out. Sad, sad situation. Yeah. But to gear up for what they thought was going to be Muppet Studios, they had a show called Here Comes the Muppets. It was at the Walt Disney, original Walt Disney Theater. And um, it was terrifying to some because it was giant Muppets because they were just people in giant Muppet mascot costumes. Yeah, it was like an atmosphere character, but like Muppets. I watched... A video of that show, yeah. yeah Actually, I, I looked like it's, it looks like fun to me. But for, for me, it's not terrifying as a kid. Yeah. I would not have found it terrifying. I would have thought it was yeah. normal. I wouldn't have thought yeah, anything of it. But I do see why people are like, I'm terrified. Why animal, they're huge. Animals should not be that big. And there's a joke in the show where Animal had eaten like two children that day. And I'm like, I believe it. He's seven feet tall. <laughs> If you haven't seen Here Comes the Muppets, they do have a full show on YouTube of it as well. But yeah, so the reason the studio tour was two hours, like I said, was halfway through it, you could not get back to the park. Well, there is a street called Mickey Avenue back between where the trams were and kind of like where that eating area was. And Mickey Avenue was a backstage road, which provided audience entrances to the sound stages when I guess they had like studio audiences and stuff like that. But by the late 1990s, early 1991, they decided to dress it and open it to guests, um, which they put up false facades and landscaping to kind of emulate the feel of the original Burbank studio. Walt Disney Studios in Burbank. They like made it like a dopey drive with a walkway and things like that. And they have pictures of them as well. And it looks eerily like Burbank Walt Disney Studios. Oh my gosh. But they dressed it to look like that and made it so that you could actually have access to it. When that happened, opening up Mickey Avenue meant that the original two-part, two-hour tour could actually be split by guests and they could choose to do one and not the other, or do both in reverse order. Which makes sense, because not everyone physically can do a long walking tour. Right. So basically where the trams let out, you could actually walk Mickey Avenue, which gave you access to going back to the park, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't have to, like, stay for the walking tour to the original, like, entrance exit. So it made the back lot tour a little bit more accessible, a little bit more doable for people. You could do part of it, do something else, come back to the other part, whatever you choose. Um, So there was now a halfway point exit, Back to the park. The walking tour at this point was also given a proper new name, a proper new entrance, and then they renamed it. The walking tour was renamed Inside the Magic. And then two expansion projects that they planned for the park broke the barrier between the two halves of the park, like the park 
And then the studio, you know how I said mm-hmm. it was like behind the archway, it's the studios and before it, it's the park. They had made the sci-fi dine-in in 1991 and commissary restaurants. They started the Muppet Vision Complex, which would bring the theme park closer to the tour because of where its location was. And also yeah. they had a studio showcase exhibit that also opened across from Muppet Vision. Originally, it was supposed to be a Swedish chef restaurant. Oh my gosh. Oh. But that's before the Muppet Studios concept got scrapped. And then eventually that showcase exhibit now is what the Pizza Planet Arcade is. Oh, not Rizzo's. What was in Rizzo's I think pizza the, or has that always been there? No, that hasn't always been there. I don't know. It, isn't there a Pizza Planet Arcade or did they close that? I don't know. No. I mean, at least not now, but okay. there's like a, a Rizzo's pizza place. Maybe the official name. Is ne- that across? That area. Is it across from Muppet Vision? Because that mm-hmm. might be. Okay. It so is. at one point it was the Pizza Planet Arcade, but I guess now it might be what Rizzo's is. Listen, I yeah. just want to say I have not been back to the park since it <laughs> was renamed. The last time I was yeah. at Disney MGM Studios was 2005, and I refused to go back after 2008. Yeah. So, I have not been back. I mean, (laughs) hearing all this, it's amazing to think that Disney was like, we're going to build a full-blown studio on the East Coast, and we're going to be able to do a full two-hour tour. We're going to have all these special effects. We're going to have all these props. Like, it is a beyond ambitious and complicated concept, and it's amazing they were able to pull it off. And it's it's odd to me that it just – ended because it sounds like it was really cool and it sounds like it was a lot of planning and very ambitious so i don't quite know what happened there obviously it appeals to us in our 90s loving hearts but maybe in the early 2000s maybe it just was in a weird period where it felt dated i can tell you exactly what happened before we get to that i will tell you what happened but they also made an avenue of the stars which looks like the hollywood bowl they built that in like the hub area they expanded the animation building in 1996 The house that they added to Residential Street was the Empty Nest House. There it is. Mm. I found it. And so with all this expansion to the park, they had to keep moving the backstage, like the tour. They had to keep moving the entrance to the tour, the queue, the loading, and they had to keep changing the tour route. In the beginning, New York Street was literally to drive around in the tour. It was a backstage place that was only going to be driven on by the trams. That concept did not last very long. Within the first few months or before 1990 – they had to open it up to foot traffic because the park was so popular for crowding reasons. They had to open New York Street to foot traffic. And that's when everything started to shift. Tram route started to shift and things like that. So start of the walking tour got moved. Start of the tram tour got moved. The order and how things happened in the tour started to change. The walking tour was also curtailed. You skipped past post-production and the finale at one point. They started moving props around. They put them in different places. Now, the lottery, the reason they made the lottery was that it was a pre-show film made to show you how the entire back lot could be utilized in film. So that's why they made that three-minute movie. It was literally as a marketing tool for their production back lot and to show people, like, this is every single thing you can do on our studio because they do, like, everything. They do the stunts and all the different aspects of the things that they can offer. So that's why the lottery was such a push because they used it as like a demonstration while you're in a queue. It became a pre-show video eventually as well. Then they had the chroma key scenes that I told you about. They changed over the years from like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Eventually it became home improvement 
And they had you do like a scene as like Tim and Al. They also had 101 Dalmatian scenes at one point where you do the scene where like he's on the bike and Pongo's like pulling him. You do that scene. So yeah, so they change it over the years to kind of like keep up with what movies are relevant yeah. and things like that. But yeah, so I think the reason that there's no longevity is the reason that Universal Studios Florida also no longer has backlot tours. Like neither of those places that started out being what they were are what they are is because noise will always be an issue with productions. Yeah. Money started to become a thing where it was like cheaper to stay in one place. Also, the MGM name was a 20-year contract. I don't think a lot of people know that. They signed Mm -hmm. a 20-year deal. For that MGM name, which means by the time they changed it in 2008, they signed that contract in 1985. It should have expired in 2005. They were able to use it for a transition period all the way up until 2008 when they finally changed it to Hollywood Studios. But by that time, Disney as a company was a completely different company than it was in the 80s. It has so much of its own intellectual property that they own now that they no longer needed to license anybody else's movies. They have everything you know, yeah. they're a mogul now. They were not that kind of global phenomenon, this beast that they are now back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. So it served its purpose for the time. But like the productions eventually packed up because it wasn't feasible anymore. So then yeah. the park became more of a this is a demonstration of how movies are made versus this is a place where we make movies. That's how it was when I went for the tram tour. It was very much of like, they would also still show the Boneyard and some costumes and props from recent Disney movies. Like I saw costumes and props from Pirates of the Caribbean, the new Muppet movie with Jason Segel, so Mm -hmm. things like that. But it was very much just like, this is how it's done. Yeah, they also got rid of like the speaking. Like you guys had an automated voice on the tram. Like that tram tour was so different. Like at one point when you went to New York Street, they had a whole Dick Tracy show. Mm -hmm. They had Dick Tracy like a crime thing with Dick Tracy and like you could watch like this robber also on those clips. Oh, that must be Dick Tracy's Crime Solvers. Yes. I was trying to figure out what that show was. And Dick yeah. Tracy's Crime Solvers is part yeah. of the tram tour and you would mm-hmm. wa- stop and watch them do like there was two different segments that they would alternate through. You also had different licenses in the park back in the 90s. Like they had Ninja Turtles. The Ninja Turtles did a stage show where they sang their theme song, lip synced their theme song, with April O'Neil lip syncing to some clearly black woman's voice. I watched that one too. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, okay, the soul and the the Aretha Franklinness of this just doesn't make sense. Um, April O'Neil. I was like, why? Hey, why would you oh do my that? Gosh. They, um, they also had the Power Rangers at one point. Disney like owned the Power Rangers for a short stint. They also had Ace Ventura in the park. So they just had like all these different licensees that were there. And then also they filmed... I did not know about Ace Ventura. Yeah. I know about the others. <laughs> they That's had so weird. Goosebump characters at some, at one point where they did like... They also had did not Stein. know that. I knew, I knew about Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> yeah. And it was, a, it was a time. And, you know, they, they were really leaning into that Dick Tracy. They were trying to, like, push even though it was a flop. Because, you know, Michael Eisner, his, like, star thing at Paramount was greenlining Indiana Jones. And he was really wanting Dick Tracy to be, like, an epic trilogy like Indiana Jones. Yay. That's what he wanted. That was the intention with the film. That makes sense as to why they were trying to push that yeah. on me. So like, trying to he push wanted it to be Disney's <laughs> Indiana Jones. Ironic, because Disney now owns Indiana Jones. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had 
you know, all those different properties. It had a lot going on back when they didn't have all those licenses that they do have now. And it was uh, it was kind of like a mod podge of different random things in the 90s where it just, you never knew what, you know, MGM Studios was going to have next. But um, <laughs> they added the addition also of a couple attractions in the 90s. They added the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror in 1994. They added Sunset Boulevard and they renamed the backlot the New York Street to Streets of America. Oh, I was also just going to say another movie that they filmed was The Newsies. Did you guys know they filmed Newsies? I did oh, not know no, that. That's know weird because that. I feel cool. like that would be a very common fact, but I've and, never heard that. Yes, and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid also filmed there as well. So yeah. they filmed Newsies on that back lot. I did not I know that. That, that might have been really the other cool. thing I wanted to tell you. Fun fact. I like that. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> don't cut that out. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, the heyday in the 90s. As you can see, it's a completely so different part. I'm so sad I wasn't able to go there in the 90s. It's, I'm so sad I couldn't go. It's depressing what it was now to what it is now. Like, you got the Brown Derby restaurant. You got things that, like, Hollywood no longer had that you could still experience in At least we park. can still go to the Brown Derby. That's true. Bless. <laughs> they still have that. I hope they don't. I hope they don't get rid of that. It's like there's only like one attraction left, and I feel like it's Indiana Jones, right? That is Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular is the oldest attraction at that park. It's the only one from opening year. Yeah, that still exists. So sad. Well, speaking of opening year, there's one group that is still performing, or at least was, you know, pre-COVID, and that is the Citizens of Hollywood. Hollywood. Now they are streetmosphere, as they're called characters. Streetmosphere. Yeah, I love that. they're like an improv <laughs> group of street performers, and their show is still or was still running in the park. Um, they would perform magic, comedy skits, and interact with the guests. So that is the other remaining thing yes. from opening day that is still. Is there. that like the Buena Vista of Buena Street? Vista Street? Yes. it's like that, but it's more of a show. Like Got the it. Buena Vista Street characters kind of walk around and interact with people, but they don't do like a little show where everyone stops and watches it. So it's it's kind of different in that. Respect, it's got it. It's like that, but bigger because they still interact, yeah. but they still yeah. they do the show. But they, they also do a interact. show too. Yeah. They do the only interaction. I had with one was at Disney's Hollywood Studios was stop calling a, it that it is well, not <laughs> no it but I'm MGM. saying but I had the experience at like just, I was there when it was Hollywood Studios I'm just messing with you <laughs> he was a cop dressed as a trash can he was like literally just wearing a trash can costume and trying to pretend he was undercover as a trash can but it was very obvious he was a cop that's really cute can I just tell you California girls something really quick that I want to be put on the record yeah. yeah. When I came to California and I moved here, it was in the mid 2000s. And when I went to Disneyland for the very first time, and I went to DCA for the very first time, I kid you guys not, the moment I walked to, into DCA, I said, what in the crappy bootleg MGM is this park? <laughs> Because everything in that park is a ripoff. It's rip so off. similar. It's a cheap ripoff of MGM. And I remember telling whoever I went with them, I was like, what is this? I hate this park. It's such a crappy, oh trashy bootleg of MGM. What is this? Oh, I, I was so mad. Although the Carthay Circle at California Adventure is much more significant than the fake Carthay Circle facade. I'll, I'll give you that. But the entrance That's, sign, yeah. Oswald's, the entrance sign, Buena Vista Street, the street performers, yeah. the entire freaking like Hollywoodland area, like everything in that park was like a bootleg MGM that they slapped together. Superstar Limo, hello. <laughs> it was called Superstar what at MGM? What did we call it? 
The you guys show. had a superstar limo? It wasn't called Superstar Limo. It was called Superstar Superstar uh, Television was the superstar show. You talked superstar Superstar Television. I was like, even Superstar Limo like ripped off the name of Superstar Television when you could be in like the TV shows. I was like, what is this bootleg nonsense? I was so mad, you guys. I had the opposite experience when I went to Disney World with Jess for the first time and I walked into you know, Disney's Hollywood studio, which is this called now. I But I walked in there and I was like, oh, allegedly, what? this is just like DCA. I was like, it's so similar. I was Blast like, for me. I know. Well, I didn't. I, you know, I knew that DCA was after, but I was like, what? Why did they make these so similar? Anyway. Yeah. It's weird that the entrances are the same. Because DCA was a slap together park and they were just like, <laughs> just copy MGM. But most of the things that are similar about California Adventure and Hollywood Studios was stuff that was added in 2012 to DCA. Well, then that must be when I went for the first time because I was just like, what is this mess? Obviously, Superstar Limo was older, but in terms of how it looked, it did not look like Disney's Hollywood Studios. The DCA that we see now, like, mm-hmm. none of that was there until 2012. So they really bootlegged it yeah. in the game. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I love DCA. Like, now it's like, I feel like it's really fun now. Yes. You know, but still, like, yeah, they're so similar. So you talked about some of the weird Disney characters that you could meet in the parks. I'm going to talk about kind of the live entertainment and characters yes. kind of falls into that. Yes. So there was one picture on Disney Wiki that was a group picture of characters, and it was from the 90s, and it included all of these characters. Roger <laughs> Rabbit, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and April O'Neil, Belle and the Beast, Ariel and Prince Eric, Chewbacca, C-3PO, Ewoks, Indiana Jones and Marion, and finally the Sinclair family from the Dinosaur sitcom. They were all in one that picture. Great. <laughs> and if that sounds great to you, now you know why that is the best theme park in the history of Disney parks. Oh my god! Boom! Well, I think that is a wild combination (laughs) of characters, but I think they could get away with that because the park was movie themed. Like, it's all movies. It's all TV shows. You could use any character that you have the license to use. So they could get away with whatever characters they wanted, pretty much. It's kind of like Roger Rabbit. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned earlier, like some of the weird characters, like the Goosebumps characters, Ace Ventura, the Power Rangers. Disney actually owned the series from, I believe, 2002 to 2010. So that's why they were... In there. That late? Yeah, but they even yeah. had the Power Rangers before they owned it. When the Power Rangers, the seasons premiered, they had them in the park mm-hmm. for a meet and greet when the whenever that was in the 90s. I don't oh, know. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So they must have bought it later. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about parades. There have been many parades at this park. Some were centered around just one movie, like Hercules, Milan, or Aladdin. And there's the Pixar Block Party Bash, which was a celebration of Pixar movies, of course, but looked like it was more of a street party with floats. But my favorite parade that I've never actually seen in person is say. the Stars and Motor Cars Parade. And I I love it so much. I talked in great depth about it on our Patreon Disney Parks birthday celebration episode. But just in case you haven't heard that episode... It's a parade where there are different Disney characters walking the parade route. And then the star Disney characters are sitting on the back of convertibles that are made to be the theme of whatever their movie or show is. So, for example, R2-D2 comes rolling down the street and then you see a convertible that is shaped and made to look like Luke Skywalker's land speeder. And then Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia are just on the back waving to the guests. But there's no rhyme or reason. 
to the characters included. There's Aladdin and Jasmine. There's Woody and Buzz Lightyear sitting on a car that's made to look like Andy's bed. Um, Aladdin <laughs> and Jasmine are in a car that looks like the genie. It has the genie's face on the front. There's Mary Poppins and Bert riding on their carousel horses on the back of a car. And it's just such a glorious, beautiful parade. And I just wish I had seen it. And I also wish that yeah. I could have one of those cars and just roll up to Disneyland in my like Muppet convertible I hope or whatever. Some of those cars, I'm sure they were <laughs> repurposed for other things, but I sure hope at least one of those cars is in the Walt Disney archives. I hope so too, because I want to see it in person so bad. Do you remember any parades, Tiffany, that you saw at the park? No, in fact, I was fascinated more with like the great movie ride because mm-hmm. at when I came to visit the park in 97, one of the actual pairs of the Ruby Red Slippers were on loan in the queue line of it. <gasps> oh, and it was the first the time I ever saw Dorothy's Ruby Red Slippers from that movie in person. And I stood in that queue line staring at them forever. My mom had to come back and get me and be like, we're at the, like, we're at the ride. <laughs> You're like, I'm looking at shoes, mom. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, this is one of the real pairs of the shoes, mom. (laughs) This is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the main parades that I thought looked absolutely amazing. And then when it came to live entertainment, there were some shows that we already talked about. There were several shows themed around Hollywood. There was a campy song and dance extravaganza complete with Disney characters called Hollywood Hollywood. Just mentioned superstar television where guests could be filmed and placed into famous sitcom scenes. I would have loved that as a kid. I always wanted to do that kind of stuff. And then there was the Monster Sound Show, which guests could work on being a Foley artist so they could do the sound effects that would sync up to a movie that they would show. And uh, you mentioned, Tiffany, Here Come the Muppets. I would have loved that as well. It ran from 1990 to 1991. So uh, I totally missed that one, but I would have loved to see that one. And then game show and reality TV experiences also had their place at the park with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Play It! and The American Idol Experience. <laughs> Which is hilarious because I didn't realize they had Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Play It! there too because like that was an original dca attraction not current oh, wow. dca but that was a dca 1.0 attraction which i, I played at dca <laughs> that's so funny and failed miserably at <laughs> oh my god the grand prize was a disney cruise i wanted to win so badly. oh poor jess <laughs> Well, kids' cartoons also got their time in the spotlight with Disney's Doug Live and Disney Junior Live on stage. There were shows that had theatrical sets, but instead of live performers, they relied on film segments and immersive lighting and sound effects to tell the story, like Journey into Narnia and The Legend of Captain Jack Sparrow. And the park has also had big stunt shows in their entertainment lineup, which have been very important to the park. There was Lights, Motors, Action, Extreme Stunt Show, and then, of course, the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. And I think we all remember that scene from the Full House episode where where DJ thinks she sees Steve as Indiana Jones. Yeah, which I just have to say, again, I'm sorry, we keep referencing our Patreon, but I know not everyone gets to hear those episodes. But there was uh, something I mentioned when we did a breakdown of the Full House episode at Walt Disney World, where like, there's so many instances in that episode where the cast is just doing the weirdest improv. And we came to the conclusion that they didn't think that their sound would be included. And they were like, just say words, because like, you're not going to be heard, (laughs) you know, so I feel like they were just like talking and doing not good improv because they didn't think it'd actually be part of the show. And as, as DJ 
and Danny are exiting the attraction. Danny just turns to Steph and he goes, hey, Steph, what did I tell you? Was that a big rock or what? And I'm like, the heck was that line? You know, it's so funny. We I was watching some more footage today just like for fun. And we were watching some of the stunt spectacular. And Dan was like, Steve. Like, <laughs> Also, Steve? I have to say. Garrett and I actually experienced the Legend of Captain Jack Sparrow, and it was the weirdest theme park experience we've ever what? had. It looked pretty weird. It was weird. It's It was in, like, a stage, like, a warehouse building, basically, and we didn't understand what it was, And but mm-hmm. we were like, oh, well, there's not much to do at this park. Like, they had just closed the studio tour. We couldn't do that. And so we were like, let's do this Captain Jack Sparrow thing. It was 60-minute wait. Oh my god. What? That's too long. Then we got inside and you're basically like squished in like literally a warehouse with a bunch of people and you're standing the entire like 15 minute show or however long it is mm-hmm. and it's basically like Captain Jack Sparrow just telling you how to be a pirate and it was just like I feel like this is like a Dave and Buster's virtual experience. This is it was very weird. Very strange. And then Star Wars was a part of the park long before Galaxy's Edge opened with shows and experiences like Star Wars, A Galaxy Far, Far Away, with live appearances by C-3PO, R2-D2, Chewbacca, Darth Vader, Boba... I wrote Boba Fest, but I know it's Boba Fest. (laughs) (laughs) Boba Fest! Boba Fest! That's like a whole other type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Kylo Ren, Ray, BB 8, and more, plus Jedi Training Academy and Star Wars A Galactic Spectacular, which I actually got to see a show with fireworks and Star Wars oh, scenes. Yeah, and, yeah you remember that? that? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so Star Wars has been a, a part of the park for a long time. And, uh, you know, that's what I have. That's what I have for uh, fun shows and live entertainment that have been featured over the years. Some selections. I, I have a loaded question for you, Tiffany. Yeah. I love a loaded I, question. Let's go. I know, <laughs> I know that you have not gone to the parks I since haven't. it is no longer Disney MGM Studios. I when I do go, I'm going to be decked out in MGM everything on my body. <laughs> well, that, that, that was a two-part question. I was going to ask, would you go ever now? And is there anything that you've heard about that's been added that you're like, oh, I do want to do that or I do want to see that? Absolutely. I think the reason I didn't want to go in the past is because it depressed me to see it as a shadow of its former self. Yeah. When I went in 2005, I almost cried because even then, and, you, and that was before they even shut down the studio tour to what it is, yeah. was in 2014 when it closed. But mm-hmm. even in 2005, I was like, this is not the magic I remember. And I was like very upset because I was taking my friend who had never been. It's hard to when you see something that like you remember as being so special as a child and then you go and it's not the same. Right. It's always hard. And it yeah. wasn't it wasn't what it is today. It was still like a former shadow of itself. And I was like, I can't do this. And once I changed the name, I was like, I really can't do this. Like <laughs> it it just didn't have any like direction. But mm-hmm. now that it has transitioned from what its original purpose was to basically properties park like dca is it's like Mm -hmm. they're both they're both properties park i call hollywood studios and dca properties park where they can just show off all their properties the pixar the star wars i'm sure Mm -hmm. marvel will be in that park as well Mm -hmm. like just even in a different iteration than what we have it's not the same theme park so it won't be a depressing remnant of the past like it was yeah it felt different it felt super abandoned and like sad now it's like okay they've got like 
Toy Story Land. They've got Star yeah. Wars Galaxy's Edge. Like, it's a different thing. I, I'd agree with that. We went 2013 and 2014 when they had the studio tour. And, like, there was hardly anything to do. Right. But when they had the studio tour, that was at least took an hour. But then in 2014, when it was closed, there was really nothing much to right. do. And so we didn't go back again until a couple years ago when more stuff was opening. And now we really like it. But in 2014, it was in a very awkward transition period. Mm-hmm. It's like something yeah. I loved and it was just dying in front of my face and I couldn't like it hurt. But now it's not that anymore. It's got a whole new identity. It's got a whole new theming. Like I know if I went, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint where anything was as easily as I yeah, could have. It's so, so it different. won't feel. They've yeah. like demolished the back lot. They've put Toy Story Land there. They've gotten Galaxy's Edge. Like there's no sign of like New York Street or Streets of America anymore. There's only like a little section. Thank God they got rid of that ugly sorcerer's hat and I can see the Grauman's <laughs> Chinese Theater. And Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is there now, which, which I know like it replaced the Great Movie Ride, but at least they like, at least they replaced it with something good and not just like, nothing right it's not just an abandoned thing they shut it down with the intention of putting something in there which is ideal but yeah i intend on going but i will go in a sassy manner dressed in all indium (laughs) i will go but But in in a sassy sassy manner manner. in a sassy (laughs) manner i love it um yeah i do also want to like give you guys some fun facts before we wrap up sure that would be fun Yes, let's hear them. One of the things is, did you know that four of the nine old men were at the studio's dedication? (gasps) Very cool. I did not know that. Yeah, so Ward Kimball, Frank Thomas, and Ollie Johnson, and Mark Davis were all there for the dedication. Another fun fact is, because they were recreating Grauman's Chinese Theater, they actually like spent two years studying the real Grauman's Chinese Theater here. Oh, wow. Taking pictures. They even, like, contacted a person in China to remake the food dogs out front. Those oh, um, cool. The yeah. food dog statues. So yeah. those literally came from a manufacturer in China to, like, recreate the authentic food dogs. Wow. That's great. But it's also very funny because there's a plaque outside the um, Grauman's Chinese Theater at MGM that says, like, this is dedicated – or not dedicated, but this is a reproduction – of the Grauman's Chinese Theater that was made in Hollywood, California in 1928. It was made in 1927, y'all. Uh, oh, no. So <laughs> that's and a, they never And they just never changed it's the It's still plaque. there. So if, cool. you, if you go there and you want to read that plaque, know that there's a nice little typo error there about <laughs> when what the Grauman's Chinese Theater. Also, if you watch any footage videos, there is um, a video about the MGM, the making of MGM that they made. Fred Newman is the host. He's a white-haired man who happens to be kind of like someone from our childhood that we've known, but without knowing we've known. He's literally the voice of Skeeter and Doug and a bunch of other characters like uh-huh. in Doug as well. He And he does like sound effects and things like that. He also is like one of the hosts of the Mickey Mouse Club back in that day. So like... That's where I know. Yes, that's yes. where I know that name. 
And so, okay. like, he has a Nickelodeon and a Disney connection. Um, yeah. Because he did the voice of Skeeter from Doug as well as, like, the Dinks and, like, Mr. Dink and, like, some other ones. Yeah. So, like, in the special, he, like, takes us to the Mickey Mouse Club set. And he's like, I like that white-haired host, which was him. It's oh, my <laughs> God. Also, with the Mickey Mouse Club, everyone always totes the Mickey Mouse Club as being, like, the place where Justin and JC and Brittany and Christina and Ryan Gosling were. Do you know that they only joined – well, especially Christina, Ryan, and Justin – they only joined the cast like in the last season and they're only like in three or four episodes. I did not know that. Out of 107 mm-hmm. episodes, they were not the Mickey Mouse Club. Like when I grew up and found out who they were, I was like, I don't even remember them from the Mickey Mouse Club. And that's why they were only I in like. I either. That's so funny. I was like, I know like the, uh, I know like Tiffany. And Alana. And yeah. Carrie. Because they're the most <laughs> famous. That's who they talk about. Even Carrie Russell wasn't in as many episodes as like the real cast. Yeah. Of the Mickey Mouse Club. I remember, like, the real cast, the ones that were in, like, 100-so episodes. They were, like, in four, three, four, and five episodes because oh they came in at the end, and they were, like, the youngest. So mm-hmm. they were not heavily featured or used that much. And I'm like, it's so funny how no one remembers the actual stars of that show. <laughs> I know, because, of course, like, they're going to tout the names of, like, the most famous people. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Grauman's has cement prints in the front. They actually, like, called the stars there during the dedication ceremony and had a bunch of people like Cicely Tyson, Bob Hope, Bette Midler, of course. Of course! <laughs> what would the park be without Our her? Our queen! Uh, they... A whole bunch of celebrities. Queen of Disney MGM Studios, Bette Midler. <laughs> yes, a whole bunch of celebrities to redo like cement prints for them for the Grauman's Chinese Theater. With apparently, I don't know if this is true, but it's rumored that they did it with promising of, of promises of free park tickets, which they never delivered on. Oh no! I was like, y'all could y'all couldn't give Bette Midler free park tickets, like. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that was like the rumor that I've like heard. I was the only like, person I, I've heard that is incredibly hard to get free park tickets even yes. as a celebrity. Yes. The only celebrity I know, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but the only one I know of for sure who pulled it off was Dave Foley of all people. Yeah. Like, oh, honestly, wow, I know yeah. I, I had the same conversation with someone who was a Disney show, did voices for the park and things like that. Never once got a free Disney ticket. Yeah. And I'm like, and I, I know we need to wrap up, but just oh, to yes. give context for people who are like, what? But I was just going to say for the real quick tidbit about that was when Dave Foley, who's the voice of Flick in A Bug's Life, they asked him to voice Flick for a Bug's Land attractions at California Adventure. And he said, you don't have to pay me. I just want a park ticket for life and they were like absolutely not so then he didn't do it so they hired a different voice actor to do it and then John Lasseter was like why didn't you get Dave to do it like this doesn't sound like flick and then they were like oh well we couldn't meet his demands and he was like what did he ask for and they were like he asked for a lifetime park pass and he was like this other person sounds horrible. Just give it to him. And so then they did. <laughs> I also had this conversation with somebody. Isn't a lifetime park pass a lot cheaper than paying them millions of dollars? I don't think it costs them much money. I think it's just because, like, they don't want to sound like they give them out willy-nilly. So I feel like it's, yeah. like, a a prestigious thing. Like, we do not Whatever. give out lifetime passes to just I'd I work for like Disney for thing. free for a lifetime park pass to every park as well. Like, don't pay me. <laughs> yeah. Just let me go to all your parks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also, yes, yes. I did forget one more film. Splash 2 was also oh filmed before, I forgot about Splash the, before the park opened in 1988. That was another film that was filmed before the park I didn't opened. even know there was a Splash, Splash 2. Oh, it's it's not great, Melanie. It's not great. I'm not going to watch it. Great. I love Splash, so I'm not going to watch it. Don't yeah, worry about you it. You don't need to. You, you don't, don't, you don't, you need, don't to. need to watch that. Um, but that was another wacky film that was filmed before the park opened. You know? Oh, my gosh. 
Well, thank you for sharing the wackiness. I'm so glad you were able to join us. Like we had picked this topic and then I was like, Tiffany has to come on. She's actually experienced it in person so we could do our <laughs> mm-hmm. research, but she will understand it more than any of us. And just because like, I wanted to hear you talk about it because I know how much you love it. She knows. <laughs> and anybody asked me what my favorite park was. I'm like, it doesn't exist, but it was MGM. And I can't <laughs> wait to someday in the future when you go to the park, see your sassy MGM Studios outfit. I'm very I, excited. Yeah. We'll be yeah, like, I'm going to be the most ridiculous person. They're going to be like, really? I'm like, yes, really. <laughs> I can't wait. I might I wear this. Wait. I might wear this shirt and be like, "Remember that tram tour you used to have?" Yeah, she's wearing a Disney MGM Studios tram tour shirt. We could see one another, but letting yeah. you guys know, listening, and Tiffany, for those who want to see this TBD sassy outfit, where can people follow you online? <laughs> I am on Instagram at Follow the Yellow Brick Girl. And I am the healthy mouse on Instagram and healthy underscore mouse on Twitter. And I am Keep Quirky on Instagram and Keep Quirky OC on Twitter. And you can follow Cartoons to Castles at Cartoons to Castles on Instagram and Cartoons Castles on Twitter. And be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Cartoons to Castles. We release a monthly bonus episode where we do a very a niche topic once a month. And so if you want some more content and more deep dives, you can join us there and then stay tuned later in June for our next main feed episode. Thank you, Tiffany. Thanks Thank so you. much for having me, guys. Finally, somebody wants to just hear me rant about MGM for hours. <laughs> and now hundreds of people will also listen to you rant. Thanks for letting me rant about the best Disney theme park ever created. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Till next time, keep keep dreaming. dreaming.